Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I'm sitting here with author Paul Lamb, who's written, I think, a brilliant book because I, I think it's a book that I'm usually not exposed to, which I'm so excited to talk about. It's called One Match Fire, and I'd rather have Paul talk about it than me just rambling on. So hi, Paul. How are you today? <laughs> hi, good morning. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for being here. I'm I'm really excited to talk about your book. Let's dive into One Match Fire. Can you kind of give me an idea what the book's about, please? Yeah, it's um it's a story about three men, a grandfather, a father, and a grandson who don't always get along, but who do love each other and just have difficulty expressing that love. But the one way where one place where they can always feel comfortable with each other is at their little family cabin down in the Missouri Ozark Mountains. It's a humble little place, but they uh, they can shake off their masks and their personalities and just be with each other and be feel safe and friendly with each other. The novel begins with the middle character, the father, having to sell the family cabin. He, he has some medical bills he has to pay for. He doesn't have the money, and so they have to sell this beloved place. Uh, and that's the prologue. And then the story flashes back 40 years to when that father was just a newborn infant and tells the story of how they got to that point and uh, continues after that point as well. And I won't spoil it about the cabin being sold. Um, <laughs> but what I like to say is that this book is a peak into the emotional lives of men and boys. That's great. We need more books like that. Well, that's Absolutely. what I think. I think that uh, you know, men and boys do have emotions. They have emotional lives, but you, we tend to repress them or not discuss them. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like this is this is addressing a need, or at least uh, filling part of a vacuum. And I, I also think that a lot of wives and girlfriends and sisters and mothers and daughters would like to know what goes on inside the minds of the men in their lives. And Absolutely. at least within the context of the, the plot in the novel, you get to know that. You get to know it deeply and intimately. I think it's, it's a book that offers a lot to a lot of different people. Absolutely. I totally agree. Because not only do we get the entertainment part of reading a novel of your book, we also get almost like a, like a guidance, too, or opening the door or the windows to this. Because I feel like when we as women ask the men, how do you feel about this and that, this and that, there's always a wall eventually yes, that, that stops is. it, right? Well, I'll give you a secret. Uh, we guys are afraid of women. I'll tell you. That. <laughs> scared to death that we're going to say or do the wrong thing. <laughs> but, you know, when when men are on their own and and they do feel comfortable with each other, they can let down those walls. Like, absolutely. As you absolutely. And... This book is definitely like a spotlight to that. And and I certainly appreciate it. So first, what made you decide to seclude these guys besides the obvious reason of like, this is where they can open up? Absolutely. But just for your writing purposes, your writing style, what made you decide on the Ozark Mountains and things like that? Well, I have a cabin 
in the Ozark mm-hmm. Mountains. Oh, yeah. <laughs> about, about two hours away from me, far enough that it separates me from my life, you know, from my day to day and, and so mm-hmm. forth. But so I'm, I really am on my own or at least out of society there. It's in the middle of 80 acres. It's at the end of a dead end road. It's all forested. I am completely apart when I'm there. And I had this cabin. I've always wanted one, and I had it. And I thought, well, maybe I should write a story about it because it, it is such a big part of my life. And so I uh, I wrote a short story, a single story. And it was it's the piece in the novel that's the prologue where the the middle character has to sell the family cabin. And I kind of wrote it as an instruction for my own children so they would know what to do with the place once my time was up. And I thought it was a really well done story. I thought I did a good job with it. Mm-hmm. It was published in a literary magazine. Ah. And I was pleased. And and that was that. You know, I, I, was, fun. I was I did what I set out to do. I was pleased. Mm-hmm. But then these characters sort of kept coming back into my head. Well, what else might I say about these people and this cabin? So I wrote another story and then another and another. And eventually I had 10 of these chapters published as standalone short stories. Ooh. And I thought, wow, I seem to have a story cycle here, you know, where the, the cabin is the unifying matter right. through all these vi- disparate stories. And a friend of mine looked at it and he said, no, you don't. You have a novel. So start treating it as a novel and write that. And once I had that revelation, it was quick then. I said, oh, well, I, you know, I don't have anything about him going into high school. You know, he has to shower with the other boys, and he's really shy about that. And his father helps him get over that anxiety and so forth out at the cabin, you know, where they're safe and they can talk. And I don't have something about this gap in the story and so forth. So I filled in those gaps with different chapters, put it all together. That took me about 10 years, actually, because for a long time I didn't realize I was writing a novel. But then when I started submitting it, bam, I get I got picked up right away by publisher out of Wichita, Kansas, Blue Cedar Congratulations. Press. Congratulations. That's amazing. Well, and then, you know, I, I hear stories of people, you know, working with their publisher for two years to get it published. Their oh book published. But mine, you know, it was done in six months. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So I was very, very, very pleased by that. So that's kind of why I wrote the story, because I have a cabin much like the one in the book. It's just a very nurturing place for me, and so I wanted to put that to use. I love that story, actually. That's mm-hmm. that's very inspirational. <laughs> I guess so. Get a cabin. <laughs> that's what everyone's going to do now, Paul, once they hear this. No, I'm kidding. Sure. <laughs> so how was it writing the relationship between the three men, having to explore explore the differences between each relationship. How was your writing then? Well, I gave each character a primary motivation. And then I just said, how will that bounce off of the other character's primary motivation? When would that work? And when would that fail? And so forth and so on. So the the first man, the grandfather, we see him as a young man who's, well, late in life. He's in his late 30s. And he suddenly has a child. He never wanted a child. He has a son now, and he's kind of resentful of that. And his motivation is because he was abandoned by his father long before. So he knows nothing about fatherhood, how to be a good parent or anything like that. But once he realizes 
he has a chance to do it right to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. He decides he's gonna he's all in and he's going to raise this boy as well as he can. So that was his primary uh, motivation. The the son, I call him one of life's C students. You know, he's he's working hard, he's doing mm-hmm. his best, but he's he's just going right. to get C's on all his tests. You know, it's just. And he's happy with that. He's fine with that. He gets a girlfriend in high school, which is just beyond his wildest imaginations that anyone would be attracted to him. And then by their senior year, something happens to them that happens to a lot of teenagers. And he loses all self-confidence as a result. He feels like he has utterly ruined his life. He's failed. And so his motivation then is is overcoming his own self-doubt. Everything he does He's certain he's going to fail, and he has to do better. And so that's what moves him. And so as a result, he turns to his father for lots of advice. How can I do this, Dad? And what's going to happen when I do that? And what do you think about this and that? And so forth. So that's their interaction a great deal. The the grandfather wants to raise his boy right. The son wants to be a good father himself and turns to his own father for Mm -hmm. advice which I think is a healthy relationship between two men. Absolutely. And then then comes the grandson who is precocious. He's he's much much more intelligent than his father, which really shouldn't matter because they do love each other in their ways, but he feels like he's outgrown his father oh. and doesn't have a need for the man anymore. You know, and this was like in high school when he felt that he didn't need a father anymore, that his father was hopelessly uh, left behind. And what he has to do is come to terms with why he thinks that. And once he discovers that, he has to address it, which happens in the very last pages of the novel to a positive resolution. And of course, it also happens around a campfire out at their cabin because that's where they're safe and they can talk about things. So with each of those characters having those motivations, it was just a matter of throwing them in the pot and watching them bounce off each other. (laughs) I love how you said said it that way. (laughs) I like that, that each relationships have so many different elements to it, but yet kind of like a central idea of you can rely on each other. You know, you can ask each other questions. You can... Ask for advice. I I think this book, like I said earlier, not only is it entertaining, but yet it's really important too to show that good relationships can exist. You know, that you yes. can approach your someone that you trust and love for advice. This is great, Paul. This is huh. this is so cool. And I think that's what mystifies the father when the grandson won't come to him for advice because he had known a good relationship with his own father, and he can't understand why he doesn't have a good relationship right. with his own son. Right. And then you, you're pointing out that conflict, too. That's This is such a cool book. Did you have any difficulties in in writing some of these relationships or even some of these conversations in your book? I am the second of eight children. My mother and father both worked. My mother worked nights. My father worked full-time and pursued his graduate degree in engineering at night. And we were all competing for attention and so forth. So as a consequence, I I can't say that I had a very strong, good, deep relationship with my father. So when it came time to write stories about people with strong relationships with their parents, I didn't really have a template Mm -hmm. to work from. 
So a lot of it is pure imagination. What what I like to think would be an ideal relationship. Right. What I wish I you know maybe could have had myself back in the day. That was hard trying to be true about that. Try, trying to be credible about that anyway. No one has said that they find it hard to believe anything in the novel. It all seems to be credible. So I feel like that's good. But the grandson character is also quite different from me uh, in a way I won't reveal. <laughs> uh, it's it's in the novel. It's there. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I felt like I had to be very careful depicting his character and not look like I was co-opting anything, you know, or assuming anything that I didn't have the right to assume. Mm-hmm. And the point was to make the son, the grandson, fundamentally different from his father. And yet they would find a way to come together in the end. So that was the purpose of that. I like that. Okay. Thank you for that. I hear that you rounded out a few things near toward the end of the novel, you said. But are you done with these characters? Are you wanting to shift a little bit more, give them a little bit more for a different another book or anything like that? That's a good question, and it's got a big answer, actually. Um, <laughs> they would not let me alone. In oh, fact, see, <laughs> in, in, in one match fire in the first novel, there are in between each chapter there are little three hundred word first person vignettes. And each character gets to speak for himself or herself. That was a result of a sort of an intervention that my characters staged. They sort of approached me and said, hey, the narrator of this novel has sentimentalized our lives. You know, we're more dimensional than this. So you better let us speak for ourselves. So I wrote those uh, interchapter vignettes where each character gets to speak in the first person and talk mm-hmm. about something that deepens your understanding of them and corrects maybe or enhances what's already been described. So in my head, uh, these characters are alive. And my therapist says that's not a problem. <laughs> but um, they are so alive that I've written a second novel, a sequel. <gasps> yes. And it's it follows the grandson character through his adulthood And no surprise that he has a son he doesn't get along with for various reasons. And I thought, wow, that's great. I have this sequel. This is is wonderful. But when we were doing the developmental edits for One Match Fire, the editor, a woman, said, you know what I would like to see is a novel about the mother character, the, the mother, the wife of the middle character, the son. I would like to know her story. And I think to myself, well... Never having been a woman myself, <laughs> I can't possibly write that thing authentically. And yet, I have not written that thing authentically up to 120,000 words so far. And I think I, uh-huh. I'm about two-thirds of the way done with her story. So, oh, man. Yeah, it's, uh, these, these characters have captured me, and they haven't let go for a while. I even think there's a fourth novel, but I think I'm just not going to write it. Maybe I'll write some short stories, but it's about one of the characters who who's appears very late in One Match Fire and his his life story. We'll see about that. I don't know. I, there are so many other things I would like to work on, and I just can't right. let myself do it until I'm done telling these stories well as well as I can. But yes, I I, I envisioned it as a trilogy. I haven't Ooh. told my publisher this, <laughs> I don't know if they'll be interested or not, but um, 
that's that's where well, I we're am invested right now. in the three men. I'm already invested just yes. listening and talk about it. So trilogy, definitely. You have to have that on the table, absolutely. <laughs> well, I hope so. Yeah, I, I I feel like it's well done, and I feel like it deserves it some attention. So we'll see how it goes. I I'm behind you 100. percent I would love for that to happen. Well, if it does, can I come back? I, I was gonna say you have to. You have no choice. It's well, in the recording. <laughs> so, Paul, what else can you tell me about you as an author? I've always been bookish. I was always reading. You know, when I was growing up, as someone said, where is Paul? Oh, he's up in his room reading a book. Oh, oh, of course he is. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, that kind of thing. I did write as a freelancer. I wrote articles for magazines and newspapers, but it was feature articles and it was always sweetness and light. It was you know, about bald eagles or this or you know, nice things like that. The state flower of Missouri, things, you know, fine, fine, honest work, but mm, it didn't quite carry me away. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, you know, I always wanted to write fiction. And so I did a lot of apprentice work, a lot of uh, things that will never come out of the box in the closet. But, you know, it was work that needed to be written and, you know, to, to learn my voice and so forth. I wrote a lot and I was getting these, these stories published, but they were all over the place. There was uh, some fantasy, very light fantasy, some very light science fiction. I tried a little young adult for a while, couldn't get anywhere with that. I just hadn't found what my narrative voice. And then I wrote a story that was published called Velvet Elvis. And it's about uh, the art fairs. You see when they they close a, a couple blocks in some neighborhood and mm-hmm. put up tents and everybody's selling their paintings or their sculptures or their their crocheted hats and things like that. The premise of the story is that you had to find a gimmick to sell your stuff. Well, this one guy used to be the, on the top of the pole. He had the gimmick, but you know he's, his time has fa- passed, and somebody else is now on top, and he's just about to be to give up. Mm-hmm. But he comes up with this gimmick at the last minute and can't sell his stuff fast enough, can't paint his paintings fast enough. Everybody wants one of his. That was published. And somebody even wrote a comment uh, at the webzine where it was published saying, this is true about literature as well as art, uh, as figurative art. I mean, look at vampire novels. You know, everybody had to do one at one time. Now nobody writes those. It's going to be zombies or werewolves. There's so much that's trendy. And the Mm -hmm. point of that story is that with that uh, piece, Velvet Elvis, I really felt like I had found the confidence of my narrative voice. I knew what I was doing then. So whatever story suggested itself to me and that I could realize in my head, I could now write. I could do it. So that was a big watershed for me. To date, I have, oh, I just learned over the weekend, I have another piece accepted. So I have 47, 47 stories published. Wow. Which I'm pleased about, but darn it, you know, that round number 50 is just out there and I've got to hit it, you know, it's bugging me. But the the people in these novels won't let me go, so I can't really write anymore. That's very satisfying. I have a master's degree in writing from the university here in Kansas City, but I did that solely for my own satisfaction. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it to make myself more employable or to keep myself in a job. I learned early on that I did not want to take my hobby 
and use it as my livelihood. I didn't want to be writing for the man. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be writing for myself. And I didn't want the editing of people who weren't qualified to do that. So I kept a, a big wall up between my personal life and my professional life. And writing stayed in my personal life and still has. But I'm glad we're here because <laughs> now we are getting a glimpse into, I mean, One Match Fire, which beyond that, we want to read your other short stories and things like that. I was thinking while you were talking that to have a collection of those short stories that you have, even though they've been published in the magazines and whatnot, I I mean, this is really fascinating, though. Well, 10 of those 47 stories are in One Match Fire. Right. right. And five of those 47 stories are in the sequel, because part of the sequel's already been published. So right. that leaves uh, something like 30. Uh, there, A lot of them are quite different stories. I don't know that they would make a coherent collection. Still, Paul, we want it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll look for a publisher then and see what I can do. I'm just saying. Uh, they're just all, almost all there. of them are available online. I have oh, okay. links on my blog for that so people can do that. Let's talk about your blog a little bit or where can we get your book, Paul? The book is available at any online merchant, of course, like Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Any bookstore can order it. Okay. And it's also available directly from the publisher, Blue Cedar Press. And that's where you should buy it because I get a few more nickels that way. <laughs> Amazon discounts things so deeply that, um, you know, right. I think I get 17 cents for every novel that sells or something. Right. But it, it is available. Well, Paul, I want to say thank you so much for coming today because... I certainly appreciate books like this. I I think we need more books that focuses on something like this, especially male relationships within a family. I think that's very, very important. Having an older brother, I wish I, you know, he was exposed to something like this. That would be very helpful, to be honest. Um, Any last minute thing you want to say before we go today? If listeners care to learn more about me and my writing, they can go to my webpage, which is paullamwriter.com. That links to my blog as well, which I update periodically, but which has links then to all my published stories. So if people wanted to read more of my stuff, they can go to my webpage, go to my blog, go to the links, go to the stories. Thank you. And in the meantime, I'll just be up here in my room writing. (laughs) When do you think you want to finish out your trilogy? Like in a year or this year? Or I would like to finish writing the first draft of the third novel within the next few months, just to oh, have it okay. finished. The middle novel needs some work, according to my beta readers. But once I think I have that nailed down, I'm going to present it to my publisher, which could be this summer sometime. Oh, well, congratulations either way. I think this Thanks. is so cool. Yes. Well, I want to say thank you one more time. and. Yes. I definitely want you to come back because I'm <laughs> diving myself into these relationships for sure. I definitely want One Match Fire to be on everyone's radar and everyone to read it or giving us gifts to the to yes. men and women in a family. Yeah? But, yes. well, <laughs> but thank, thank you. you, Paul, for coming by and I'll talk to you next time. All right. Very good. I appreciate this chance. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash 
Tell Me Podcast, where just for a price of a coffee, you can support monthly for just $5. There's other tiers too in the memberships, and you can look at all the info about it, and I would certainly, certainly appreciate it. And of course, there's the other podcast, Books, Cats, and Snacks, where Caddy and I talk all things book and about her cats too. See you then. Thank you. Bye-bye.